Welcome back to Consuming the Craft Podcast. Puff here with a very, very special guest. I'm excited that he was uh, available as busy as he is uh, with Red House Architecture. Robert Todd is here, architect extraordinaire, has designed a lot of places here uh, around the area in Asheville, North Carolina. Um, Rob, welcome. Thank you. Thanks very much, Puff. Yeah, we were actually getting into Mezcal before we started the I should have pressed record a long time ago because we both got kind of excited about it. And uh, you were talking about uh, a place in town called Anoche and somebody that has uh, really worked very hard to understand and learn Mescal uh, and you know her very well. And then you told me that you also had kind of a, a, a passion for it as well. Bourbon, not to take anything away from the good folks that are making bourbon as well, but uh, Mescal is, uh, is something that you dabble in, we'll say more than dabble. And you had mentioned a brand that I had never heard of yet, but... What was yeah, it? Yeah, I would, I was, I would say it's fair that I dabble in that. Um, <laughs> so depending on the season, yeah, bourbon, tequila. Okay. Are you uh, more seasonal, more seasonal drinker? I, I, yeah. Well, I, uh, seasonal drinker for the different styles. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. no. I'm not saying yeah. you never, you don't stop drinking. Right. That would be terrible. That, no. Yeah, that's just wrong. That's <laughs> against my craft. Uh, I mean, really, it's honestly, it's research for what you do. It is. It and is. so it should be a write-off. I don't know who your tax guy is, but yeah, uh, we, let's get him as shady as possible. <laughs> we entertain a lot of people and you entertain them with drinks. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, mezcal is, uh, you know, it's beyond the yellow liquid with the worm. Uh, well, it, it, it is. And, and if I've told students until I'm blue in the face, if there's an animal in it, don't drink it. Yeah. Because they're not going to be putting an animal in good booze. That's just not how it works. If you're an artist and you've painted this picture in the form of a beverage, you're not going to sully it with something along those lines. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I mean, there. <clears throat> if it was a marketing ploy or, or not, I'm not sure what it what it was, but that's what people kind of recoil when you yeah. say mezcal, and they remember in the college dorm where they were forced to drink something. But or or the idiot that ate the worm or whatever. Yeah, sure. that's right. Sure. Yeah, we've we've moved beyond that. A hundred percent. Yeah, and so uh, you know, with mezcal is it's. It is, is so much a part of its ingredients and how it's crafted, and, and it's well, got so many different flavors. So, so there's so many different agaves associated with it. Tobala, Espadine is, you know, a lot of them are made from that. We, we, uh, we, you know, where the altitude at which they're grown and like where they're grown. So, it, it, mezcal can be made in like certain regions in Mexico. They have something called sotol. I don't know if you've had yes. any of those. Yep. Yeah, or bacanora. I haven't uh, had bacanora. Bacanora is is in northern Mexico. It's very, it's you know, it's very similar to. Um, agave production. We'll, we could talk about that. I, I like. I'm. Uh, I talk about this later in the semester, and I get excited because there's so many things that I have yet to try. Uh, it, it just being regionally made, or, or maybe not even making its way to the U.S. And you know, as you know, because you worked with so many breweries and distilleries around here, um, they keep a lot of the good stuff for themselves. Yeah, of course. And I mean, so when you yeah. go talk to them and you get to you get to know some of these folks, they're like, "Hey, why don't you why don't you come back and try this?" And you're like, "This, this is amazing." It's like, "Yeah, we made it, and it was kind of a one off, and we just kind of let it sit, and it's fant- and it's it's fantastic." How can I get it? Well, you can't. We're just keeping it for ourselves. Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, Rebecca, who I was mentioning, uh, so she's proprietor at a, a new mezcal focused bar sure. in town. Uh, I'll have to get her on the podcast. You, I don't know why you should. You should. Yeah. You should talk with her before she before you go down. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll, sure. re- I'll reach out to her. Um, I'll, I'll figure that out. I'll figure how I'll, I'll connect you. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. And so they just opened up. Uh, so Anoche is um, mezcal and, and tequila. Mm-hmm. Uh, forward and we, we had mentioned mezcal i i love tequila too i'm not going to discriminate but it's two different products people need to know that yeah that's right and and i think the thing that's intriguing about mezcal that i'm coming to learn more and more is um 
it lives a little bit more like wine as far as the the different tastes and flavors that you can get. Yeah. Um, whereas it, you take it, a, a vodka and you're really just trying to distill it down to where it's clean and almost tasteless. Well, well and by TTB standards, it's colorless, odorless, and tasteless. Now, that doesn't mean it's devoid of flavor. Right. I'm just saying the way that we define it in the United States uh, isn't a very good definition, but that's us here, neither here nor there. Um, so... You've been an architect now. Uh, you started when you were apparently very little, where Red House got its name. And I think that this is one of the most amazing stories about how you named your architectural firm. Because you were, uh, what, five? Yeah. And you I was, drew a picture of a red house. That's right. Yeah. It was, it's, the, it's the first kid drawing that I still have. And the reason that I still have it is because it was drawn on a piece of sheetrock. Uh, because we were renovating. Oh, uh, I was going to say you drew yeah. your parents' wall. <laughs> yeah, that's what people have. I mean, I probably could have. They would have yeah. been fine with it. Um, but we had like an 1800s house that was getting renovated, and there probably wasn't any sheetrock in the house until we renovated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so uh, I had a scrap piece of sheetrock, and so I drew this red house, a uh, three-story red house on it, and it had um, – uh, I grew up in rural Mississippi, and so it had two tractors and two trailers uh, that were also in the garage, sure. um, as you would do. And strangely, the one of the tractors had like a really thick trailer hitch, and one had a very thin trailer hitch. And I'm, I still kind of go back and wonder what was the five-year-old me thinking of with the different trailer hitches. Pull, pulling different size trailers, but, probably. But obviously, it had different weights, and yeah. they had engineered it. Uh, to fit even already then you had yeah. already had it that's amazing yeah, it's so a cool and, and you have it still in your office today yeah, and it's yep. people can go to your website what's your website uh by redhouse.com by it, a great website it shows you a bunch of stuff bunch of products that you guys have done and and fixed and, and designed and um you don't just dabble in breweries you do distilleries retail space dining you, you pretty much cover it all uh living space i mean if you want something designed they can come to you and I'm not going to be that guy and be like, what's your favorite project? Because they're all your children. It's not like you're going to pick your favorite. Or if you did, you're not going to tell me if you did anyway. That's right. Thanks for not putting me on the spot. Well, I'm not going to put you on the spot. But I do. I looked up uh, some mistakes, design mistakes or something like that, that people normally make in commercial areas. And I kind of wanted to just, I'm sure you're going to agree with them because you do this for a living. And I am a layman by any, I mean, by any stretch of the imagination. So a couple of them, I just want to throw past you. Just, just the curveballs. You got your Dodger socks on. You're going to miss the curveball, and it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Easy now. No, Easy. You'll probably hit it out of the park. First one is not incorporating future changes into your original design. So we, you've worked with a lot of breweries, and they, they have expanded a lot here. And so some of the ones that you originally designed have gone through expansions. Uh, what are some of the mistakes some of the things that you thank you for talking to the class, by the way, because this is something where you can save them piles of money if they they just listen. And and so, what are some of the mistakes that you've seen, or are gratuitous, or as I kind of go down through these things that uh, that you could mention maybe to help people? Well, I, th I think that was one of the things that I mentioned to the students is you're you're going to plan on future growth, and I think what's interesting in the in the brewing and distilling space today is uh, future growth may not be in brewing and in packaging. Um, it may be that uh, your model is more of a retail model. So your your future growth may be, uh, yes, you may be adding fermenters here and there, uh, but you're probably going to be working looking at ways to better retail your product on site. 
Uh, and so what we're seeing is uh, breweries are maturing, and so they're starting to move into music venues as a yeah, component. It, build it if they you try to drive traffic to the place, and that's one of the things that people are messing with is is stages and outdoor. Uh, but with COVID, they had to have outdoor space. That's right. right. So Everything that was, went outside. Yeah, it's just crazy. But like. Um, a special event. So if you want to have a wedding or uh, a party, with <laughs> right. Let's talk about saving money. Yeah, right. uh, so it's, but if you want to have a place to party in and special events, you're seeing breweries open those spaces up. Whereas before uh, it was, you know, you just didn't have the square footage for it. Right. And so, and so that's being incorporating some of these new places, right? That's right. If you, if we look at um, clients like Highland, they've created their special event space. A ton of them too. Uh, I mean, they have right. like, places where you can rent out small portions, big portions, outdoor spaces. I mean, it's smart. All of those things. It's really smart. Asheville Brewing. Yeah. Um, well, they, they started out with a, a different event, a movie theater, right? Where mm-hmm. you could drink your drink your beer and it was brewed on site. So then they've evolved to partnering in with the Orange Peel for an outdoor music venue, Rabbit Rabbit. Rabbit Rabbit, yeah. Well, that's an extension of Asheville Brewing. They brew their beer, they sell it there. Uh, and, and, and they're also getting into venue. distillation. And know. distillation, yeah, so that's they, right. They yeah. just got a still and... Uh, they're getting that fired up and, and going through the growing pains there as well. Yeah. Uh, so you're, you're, it used to be that breweries would stub their toe and not get enough electrical in there or realize that they needed a bigger boiler, Yeah. you know, or we had to cut through the roof in order to get a better or taller fermenting vessel in there. Yeah. But uh, now I think you're seeing it as they're expanding their brand opportunities on site from a retail standpoint. So another thing that you guys are passionate about at Red House is sustainable design and, and having an energy efficient design, spending the money up front can save you a ton of money in the long run. People need to know that, but incorporating that into your design originally can, can, you know, help you with future expansion, can kind of see the future coming in and that return on your investment at that point, when you look at uh, energy efficient windows or ventilation or some of the things, what have you seen people do there on the sustainability side to, to help them recoup cost or money or, or, or something along those lines? Well, I think, um, ener- energy, uh, usage for breweries, it's high, you know, uh, there's a lot of water that's used. You try to be as efficient as you can be with water. Um, but you're seeing, you know, you've got recl- reclamation of the grains where you're trying to send those back out, uh, to livestock. Yeah. Uh, and then you're trying to ideally serve that meat uh, back, back at your <laughs> to, venue. To, yeah, yeah. Potentially. Yeah. And, and that's going back into human food. So that gets into food safety modernization act and all the other things that come with tracking that too. So it's having a efficient, uh, safe way to house those spent grains so that can get to the cattle in, in, in a efficient time is important. That's right. Yeah. And I think, um, I think there's a lot of intentional steps that we're seeing the brewers take. Um, one thing that I mentioned in the class is, um, you know, something as uh, entertaining uh, as the sewer system, uh, yeah. you know, it's water in and water out. Mm-hmm. Um, so we all live with that. Uh, and one of the things is the, the bugs that are actively breaking down uh, the municipal waste, uh, they get affected by the brewing system. And so if you send spent, or spent yeast, uh, or live beer, yeast, or whatever, beer, yeah. yeah, you dump a bad batch. Uh, the, the plant has to deal with it and the bugs get affected with it there. I was thinking that Homer Simpson with like all the, the needles peg on these old analog gauges and yeah. the growth is going crazy and, and, uh, they don't know how to kind of understand what's happening out at the water treatment plant. But they, I mean, the water treatment plant that was designed for Asheville was never designed for this many 
breweries or really this many hotels or that's right this many people flushing let's be honest yeah when you when you have you know what Asheville is one of the highest per capita uh for breweries well that's going to affect our our systems and it's not and you know when i went into architecture school or drawing my red house i didn't think i would be talking about sewer systems and how it'd be affected by (laughs) how glamorous is it yeah right this beautiful (laughs) beer that wasn't quite up to your standard that you dump down the drain how it affects you know but it does and it's all part of the system and so our our local um the aba Asheville brewers association got together with uh our local um, msd sewage 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 municipality And said, "Hey, how can we how can we fix your problem that you're having?" Mm-hmm. Um, and and one was one suggestion was let's put uh, tanks in to hold and test your waste before it goes in. Yeah, um, that's th- tens of thousands of dollars per brewery. And just because you had a ten barrel system, it doesn't mean that you were making uh, the maximum capacity of beer per year. You just right. didn't want to brew every day, and so right. you had a larger system. So they, uh, we worked with them in order to do it more on your uh, brewer's reports and how much you were uh, actually producing. And then uh, they, the brewers got enlightened by the best practices that MSD would like for you to have. Don't, you know, don't dump your old beer. Tell us, tell us when you're going to do they it. They give you a flow rate, yeah. Yeah. So, so if we have to dump a bad batch of... You know, it just depends on the size of stuff, but they'll give you a flow rate to go down. So it kind of trickles down. Dilu- solution to pollution is dilution on the way to there. So yeah, they, can, yeah. they can feed the bugs there a little bit at a time as opposed to all. Well, and that was the other thing, too. Eight hour shift in a brewery or how many hours it is. If you can dump it over a 16 hour shift right. or a 24 hour time frame, that saves them a lot of those almost gauges pegging into the red and yeah, the whistles get- going off and the, the, the wooga sirens and the yeah. They, they ditched the Homer Simpson, you know, uh, scare tactics. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, it's, you know, it's, it is interesting. The things that you learn about your town, um, our, our, uh, director of the solid waste, she is on, uh, connect. She's connected to all of the other cities that have a high per capita of breweries. Yep. Uh, this, you know, the Seattle's uh, of the world and Portland. Yeah. All Portland, of those places. And, yeah. and so she talks to them about their solid waste. Again, nothing I ever thought that I would be learning about, <laughs> but I'm happy that she does because it's helped our brewers out so that well, they, it's a educate. It's all about education. That's right. right. So if, yeah. you, if you don't know, if you don't understand the problem or where it's coming from, how can you mitigate it? That's right. And yeah. that comes back to architecture too. When you go to build a new building or design an existing facility, uh, what are some of the other snafus that you see that you can help people mitigate by just design? Well, I, th- I think, um, well, I would say um, I'll touch on one more thing about okay. sustainability, and that would be one of the things that we do is we try to reuse as much of Reclaim. The, yeah, the, yeah. the building as we can. And that's that sort of long-term goal of, um, you know, re- reduce, reuse, recycle. Well, uh, those those are those first First, three, two, well, first two are really all the three is yeah. when you take an old building and you can really um, make use of its bones. Uh, and that's also going to um, provide a sort of look and feel or soul, if you will, of the building. And when you are trying to make an attractive space to, to drink and basically have a good time in, you want it wants to feel good. Well, and it's so, a social setting. It needs to yeah. have that feel. Yep. And, every, and not everyone has to be the same because there's so many different people that want to drink different beers in different spaces. But I think to some degree, the space leads to the type of beer that is kind of being brewed. It's just like the regionality of some of the places overseas. 
that their water kind of dictates some of these things and this, the, 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 you know, the, the profile and what people are asking for, but like the space itself to me, uh, tends to, well, I want to go in there and drink a stout. It reminds me of a stout or I want to look at uh, something light and crisp and watch, you know, the sunset at other places with a little bit more outdoor space. So there's, there's definitely something to be said about the design translating into the products that are going to be, be like being sold, I think. Well, and you, yeah, the design wants to reinforce the brand. It's yeah. like the simple way to say it is, is you want it to em, uh, em, embrace and support the brand. And so a lot of times we'll, we'll tell our clients is like, we're, we're as much a part of your brand, you know, as the label is as like the, the space you're going to drink in. Yeah. The people that are coming there, I mean, that's, that's the, that's the sell. Yeah. Now, if they yeah. buy a hat and t-shirt, now they're the walking billboard for that place that's being, you know, that they came to. That's, that's right. That's important yep. to have that connection between the place you're making it and, you know, the look of it. Yeah. So I would, I would say agree. that the, the greatest snafu is to, is to misdesign your space for what you're trying to, <laughs> trying to present, you know, and it's like that happens. An old timey brewery with a modern feel. Right. Yeah. yeah it's like, you got to get that part straight. And, and uh, I think it's, you can't, you can't undersell good design. You no, know? Uh, it's, it's a key component. Well, and it's, uh, you know, to maximize profits, I was always told the first thing they need to see is where they're going to go hand you money. They need to yeah. see the bar, right? Yeah, in the front door, there's the bar. Yeah, it makes sense to me. It's like, oh, I go here, I hand them money, and I get stuff. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a good good approach with uh, with bars and and you know breweries and distilleries and other things like that. I now I understand how other things are designed. Like you go, you leave through the gift shop. I understand that. Right. Yeah. You've got kids. I've got kids. It's it's why they put all the candy at the register at a lot of these grocery stores at kid height right somebody has figured out how to extract the money out of your wallet a hundred percent and uh and i you know i appreciate breweries that can figure it out and you're and you're happy to buy a little piece of your experience you know if you're traveling i want to take home that hat or a t-shirt or i had a great time there and this beer was so good i'd love to be able to take some of it with me and that had changed too from covid where people had to go back to these future changes hey we always just wanted to be on traffic uh, you know, now that people are expanding into canning or uh, other small packages to try to figure out how to diversify some of the stuff they're doing, that's something else that you guys can help with designing and incorporating into existing space. So packaging is a whole nother ball of wax. It's, it's uh, you know, putting your product quality control, quality assurance at that point into that product uh, and then having it leave your facility. It's like your, your kid is now going off to college and it's going to do its own thing after it leaves the facility. But you guys can help with the flow of that. I mean, there's got to be some lean manufacturing design, product in, product out. And with existing space, sometimes it makes sense to move some stuff. Uh, I know there's some places around here that were designed without some things in mind. And then now that they've had to retrofit some things, it's not, it was, it was difficult for them. There yeah. was uh, there was some swears. Well, you can, you can see when businesses, certain businesses fail, whether it be a restaurant or, you know, in the sad case a brewery, which, yeah. um, you know, sometimes it's about their product. Sometimes it's about their product with the flow. Yep. It just was never right. You know, there's the concept of feng shui and, yeah. and whether it be feng shui or just generally the way that, um, a human wants to interact in a space, you know, there's, you can tell when it's right and you can tell when it's off. Yes. You may not quite be able to put your finger on it, but I think no, that but there, there are places that you and I probably frequent more than others. Yeah. Just be, and, and I mean, it's not like one for convenience or where we live or something like that, but we also feel comfortable in that space. Yeah, that's yeah. right. I would agree. And, and I think, um, 
you know, let's use the case of like Burial Beer Co. Mm-hmm. It's like they've got a great product, um, but their space that they started out in, uh, in a it was very t- tiny, super tiny. I mean, it was the um, little barrel and a half system yep. that, you, that your students probably they they uh, did they on. brewed on it. Yep. Yeah, and so that's how they started. But they got a finger hole in 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 brewing, and the space was pretty shabby. And, uh, but it, it had a little soul to it. It did. It had a, there's a feel to it. Yeah. And so big long tables, it was very, it was, yeah, it was nice. And they would do things like have Christmas Eve and you could go there on Christmas Eve and it was more, you know, it's kind of like the local pub, um, more family, family oriented. But then as they expanded, you know, we kind of kept the shabby vibe. Well, sometimes it kind of, it takes a little work to keep the shabby vibe and, and you don't want it to be contrived. You no, know? no, no. It has to be a part of what you, yeah. Yeah. It has to, has to have that look and feel. And so that's a good example of how you've got a great product, but you don't necessarily have the, the finest, most amazing venue from a new architectural standpoint. Yeah. And then they worked in the outdoor space and they expanded. I mean, it, it they did what they could with what they had. And I, I the beer's great. Yeah, they, and and now that they've expanded into this new, uh, bigger place, I'm I'm really excited because they're they're pumping out more beer. I've got students. See, this program here, I don't know if you're aware, is about me getting students jobs, and those jobs then give me free booze. Oh yeah, that's great. So Good. I'm getting free booze now from Barrio because we have a student that's now I'm just that's right. Yeah, that's right. He occasionally students. Yeah, occasionally brings a beer by, and I'm I'm happy to not only share it with myself, but of course the students. And you know, it's just it's nice to be able to see how their expansion has gone, but they're you know, their branding and their messaging, it, like that's all been very congruent throughout the entire process. And they, they did it very smartly. Yeah. I think, um, we're working on their new venue, which will be their, uh, brewery is already up and going yep. just across the alley. Um, but I think that it's a, it's a more plain concrete block building. And so we're trying to, we're having internal design discussions with them about how do you bring the look and feel of burial, but you're also trying to transition it slightly. To some, yeah, something a, a little bit more uh, up. You know, you're you're always ramping it up at that point. Yep, that's um, right. And let's ramp it up now with a little section I like to call booze clues. That's called a transition. In the Love bit. it. Um, and so I I I've, I heard through the grapevine that you're a mezcal fan, and uh, there is another mezcal fan that works here. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Light is a, a big tequila and mezcal and and just anything really from that region enthusiast, and he's kind of ruined me on this stuff because he always gets to. He tracks down some very, very nice stuff, and uh, I'm really excited to try this. This was a, uh, from the company Del Mege. Uh, this is a single village mezcal, so it is a different uh, agave than I've ever tried before. It's Maga, Mage Papalote and Pizorra. I probably just butchered those names. That'd be great. Rebecca could help you out. Oh, she's going to have to. My Spanish is not so good. Uh, maybe after this, I'll talk much more fluently. Um, but let's uh, let's smell. I mean, it's it pours. I mean, I get maybe a little bit of a yellow hue in this glass, but yep. I I don't know. But it smells. Oh, it smells amazing. There is a a little bit of smoke, which makes sense because they smoke the pinas from the mezcal. They've got what? What do you smell and taste? I've got a little grassy meadow mm-hmm. um, on the nose. Well, that is really refreshing. It is. I would, I would dry. Say. I thought there would be a little bit more mouthfeel to it, but it's really light. Yep. I would put that in the light and refreshing category. Yeah. Um, tasty. Probably couldn't 
mix much with it. It might not yeah, hold I, up. I, I think yeah, I, I would just drink it just the way it yeah. is. But that's what is the um, what's our percentage alcohol percentage? Um, it is forty-seven percent. Okay, so that's this what, is much stronger than kind of the normal 40, 80 proof stuff that's on the shelf. So yeah, this does not this. It doesn't drink like 47 No, no, no. I, I don't get that same burn from some of the uh, right. less expensive uh, products. And there's not uh, uh, an uncomfortable heat in my stomach. Um, it is, it, it's a very warming sensation throughout my whole face. It's yeah. very pleasant. I would, get, I would give it the thumbs up. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I, um, I kind of insulted the mezcal tradition by asking Rebecca at Anoche as like, I'd like to drink my mezcal with just like a little touch of water mm. or have a water uh, <laughs> at, the, a ba- at the yeah. back. Yeah. And so it, it, um, unlike like scotch, you put a little bit of water in just, there to open d- it yeah, up. Yeah. Just dribble just a little bit. And to you can open do it the up, same sure. with, with bourbon. Yeah. But she is, um, she's working on that laziness in me. And so now I can have a, have a little bit of water after my, She'll uh, let my, you. Yes, uh, you. She'll yeah. allow you to have a little bit. Yeah, well, like that I have, was nice. I have, a, I have a water, but but I can't I can't um, dilute it. It's their own premise. Really, really quite good though. It is. Yeah, it's. Uh, you definitely get the agave, like the traditional agave smell and taste, but there is some. There's some fruit in there. I get some flowers too as well. There's some earthiness. Mm. I'm getting a. Um, a, a pleasant, um, not maybe not quite steeliness, but there's a there's a there's a minerality. Pleasant, yeah, there's minerality. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, because a, a metallic taste would not be good. But I no, would no, say no, a minerality is mi- probably minerality is is uh, accurate. It's not yeah. like iron, right? Yeah. There is like a refresh, like a mineral water refreshingness to this, right? Yeah, which is a little bit scary because at forty seven percent, it actually drinks really easy. That's right. Um, yeah, that was quite tasty. So, uh, does it say if it was distilled in a clay pot? Um, if it was tradition, uh, artisanal. So, it is going to say, I don't know if it was or not. And I wouldn't know the difference, but... Well, the clay would definitely give it, it some give of the it, minerality. Kind yeah. of it. it does have some citrus notes. Like, it's very crisp. It is, yeah. I, so, I would, I would kind of describe it as crisp, and very palate cleansing. It would go really, really well with uh, a heavier, oilier dish to to remove that oil from your palate. I would go with that. Yeah, like, something yep. that would have uh, the smokiness is really, really nice too. It's, it's uh, certainly not overpowering. It's very, very well balanced. Are you giving this the Sauvignon Blanc of mezcal? <laughs> I don't know if I give it a Sauvignon Blanc. I mean, it doesn't have that cat pee from New Zealand, but I can't stand Sauvignon Blanc. No, but I know a lot of people just go right to it, but it's just it's kind of um, you know the light and refreshing, but not in your face of anything. No, I mean it's really, really well balanced, is what it is, and I think I get that mesquite smoke, which I really, really enjoy because they take those pinas and they roast them over those mesquite fires, and it's just. It's such an amazing smell, and this is really, really well balanced with some of the other flavor compounds that are inside of it. I, yeah, it, I'm excited. I want to learn more about this particular agave plant because I've I've had a tobala, I've had a espadine, uh, but I have yet to have uh, one from this particular these two particular agave plants. So, it was the uh, ensemble was what I was mentioning is the agave or the um, mezcal that is made. Um, 
with I think up to three different types, mm. uh, and it's and called ensemble. Ensemble is the style, and um, and I'm a layman, so don't take this to the bank. But uh, Google will help me. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Let's clean it up with Google. <laughs> yeah. uh, but it is basically taking what is uh, kind of like with a winery or, or a vintage, mm-hmm. uh, what is good this year. Uh, or what is good at this time, and you combine the different um, agaves uh, depending on. Oh, so it's a blend. Yeah, it's a depending blend. on what's in, not necessarily in season, but what is good this year. What's the best? What's yeah, the best? Yeah. What are they harvesting this year? That's right. And I so, like that. So each one is different. You know, yeah, it'll yeah, be yeah. different. And so it's it's kind of like a living type. It's a vintage. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. They, yeah. And they, that's smart too, because then they're not trying to recreate. I mean the. the the fact that we make barley into beer and the barley changes every year or barley into whiskey or, you know, all of these agricultural products that we're working with. Well, this stuff grows from eight to 20 years. And so the variation in 20 years of growth can be very, very different from plant to plant, region to region. The altitude's gonna affect it. And so there's a lot, that's that's a smart way to, to market it and talk about it because there should be variation from season to season because they have experienced different things with mother nature. I like, I like exactly. the way that they're thinking about that. And, uh, the other thing it wants me to do is buy a lot of it because I want to taste each, you try each iteration. One. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So to see, Hey, what, what did this, uh, what did this particular, uh, species of agave express into this particular product? So yeah. that's a, that's smart. I think that's to me, that's the fascinating thing about mezcal as I'm still kind of a rookie into yeah. it is that it is going to be living and it is going to change. And uh, I think uh, with tequilas, I think it's a little bit more streamlined it, it, uh, they, what you're trying to uh, go for. Well, it's blue agave and they've been growing it for, you know, that particular species at the Los Altos and then they have the lower land ones. So they, they have, you know, two regions really where they grow it. And it's, it's, it's been happening very consistently for a long time. This is a little bit more, regional certainly the distilleries are much smaller much more i I don't want to use the trip craft or artisanal but um it's a much smaller production that's right so so you're you're not getting you know with the the 100 blue agave they could be using these giant autoclaves to to get the sugars out of the pinas and and um they have all much more modernized uh versions of it because there's a couple types of mezcal that like they still have to use a wheel to crush it, and um, the artisanal or ancestral, uh, those two have regulations garnered by the Mexican government that says they have to do these things, uh, whether it's uh, fermented in concrete or distilled in a in um, in clay, or you know, there, there's there's things out there that dictate that. But there's a a bunch of other varieties now. Uh, pechuga. I don't know if you've ever had a pechuga. No. So a pechuga is a type of mezcal where. They actually hang a chicken or chicken breast in the still. Okay. So yeah. I think originally it was like, hey, one. they yeah. can cook their lunch and, and distill at the same time. But what happens is is the steam and the, the alcohol vapor goes through and takes some of the collagen and some of the, the fats and the oils of the meat. And then it makes this really oily, creamy version of, of what it's like. It's like drinking barbecue. Yeah. Wow. It's, it's amazing. Well, then maybe I've had some of that because okay. at a mezcal tasting, um, you can get uh, mezcal that will taste, that'll have like a blue cheese vibe to it. Oh, okay. Or okay. a sour cream yeah. vibe to it. Yeah. Uh, taste to it. And so, yeah, it's you, called pechuga or mezcal de pechuga. It, it's something where they used to, uh, they use venison, they use rabbit, you know, they just use whatever they had. And that's part of what makes mezcal mezcal in these different regions. I mean, it's. Uh, 
it's it's fun like that because it's to me it's just more of a living spirit just yeah. because it can have so many different influences to it and it's relatively new to us in the U.S. in this uh, style versus you know not yeah, the, yeah. not the yellow liquid with the worm uh, uh, yeah the it, abomination and it can it can go so many places you know and I'm partial to bourbon because again it has bourbon or scotch. I'm just not, I'm I don't, not, I'm I, not don't adult. Discri- I don't discriminate. <laughs> yeah. I'm not adult enough to have, to really get into the scotch world, but I, I have uh, dabbled too far into that. Well, uh, I, at yeah. one point I had a boss, um, that was, uh, in it, more than an enthusiast. He okay. was a, he was a, a collector and he was very, very, uh, passionate about it. And so he ruined me, uh, on scotch, on scotch. For, for a very, very long time. It can be an expensive habit. It's a vi- I mean, people talk about drugs as a habit. Anybody right. that's a scotch drinker has a very expensive habit. Now, we'll say, um, thinking about this um, this mezcal we just tasted, uh, like an Ardbeg. Yeah. Um, I'm, a, I'm a fan of Ardbeg. The so big peat monster, yeah. So it's peaty, but uh, it can be, it's also kind of more lighty. It's, it's more of a light, Peat yeah, can be a light peat. That, that those two can go together. Sure. So it, um, it could have smoke, but then it could also be very crisp and refreshing. Yeah. Some of that can get really briny from the salt air. Right. Uh, Lagavulin can be really heavy smoke and oily and peaty. Yeah. There's some some crazy peat monsters out they, there. They can go. They can go into the ditch of peat. But yeah, our yeah. bag stays light. And and I think this mezcal that we just tasted, if you if you put it, it's it's a much lighter version of it. Yeah, but I would say. Yeah, it would kind of lean towards the art bag. Yeah. Of, um, I, I think if you like anything with smoke in it, this would be really a, a start. And it, even right. if you don't like or you don't like heavy smoke, this would be a great a great product just to uh, put your toe in the pool. That's right. You don't yeah. got to jump in with these giant smoky uh, cocktails or beverages. And that's true. If, I mean, what was your first beer that you drank? Was it Milwaukee's Best? Red, or white, and blue. There you go. Red, white, and blue. And then <laughs> and now you... I was five. And now you can I go to it. double and triple IPAs. Yeah, you know but, and that's funny, too, when you say... Uh, yeah, we, it, that's one of those things where the progression of the drinker kind of is interesting to see where they're at on that, that scale of either beer or, you know, how far they go down into the rabbit hole of rum or, or brandy or, you know, any of these, uh, any of these types of spirits. Yeah, I think you, you dip your toe uh, and your, your palate gets bored. Yep. Uh, and then so you stretch further. And then at some point you're like, mm, maybe I don't need that triple IPA. Well, I'm good. It's so the, the evolution of the craft beer drinker, I always see, you know, you start out with that domestic style lager you steal from your folks. Yep. And then you look for something malty. And, and people jump on and off at any point of this. You get something that malty. I remember mine was Amber Bach. Was okay. Like, wow, yeah, that's good. so yep. much more malt, right? Um, I was going to say, uh, uh, what was it? Um, Michelob dark. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There great beer. Yep. Great beer. Um, and then you start learning about hops and right. then you go from these multi multi forward beers to just hop bombs. And then right. you go to the triple IPAs and you just, you get as much hop as you can after you wear exhaust out your hops. Then you start looking for the strange stuff, right? Yeah. Lambics or sour beers or you know, stuff that people put it, put through a bathtub with boots from the, you know, the World War II or, or something. Or spit into the bucket. Yeah, and yeah, beer. chicha and stuff yeah. like that. So you, you seek out these really unusual styles of beer. And then at some point, it kind of circles all back around and you go, I can enjoy a domestic style lager for what it is. I know stylistically what I'm expecting and I just enjoy. You mentioned Michelob. The last podcast I just did, we had an original Michelob lager. And I challenge you wow. to go have one of those because it's fantastic. 
It's a Vienna-style lager. It's one of the most expensive products that Anheuser-Busch makes because it's all malt. Yep. And it's so good. And it's done well. Oh, it's so yeah. good. Yeah. And it's just something I hadn't had for a long time, and I've been kind of, you know, I, I I'm going go to go back to high school, and I'm going to have one of those. Yeah, you, sh- you really should. It, In it, honor. It, you know, it's, it's funny because now you're approaching it from a different aspect, too, and it's like the malts there, the hops there. It's got all the, it scratches the beer itch that where you don't want a triple IPA, it has all of the flavors you want. Yeah. But yeah. nothing in excess, and it's very well balanced. I mean, and every once in a while, you want that imperial stout, or you want you know something that has uh, a little bit more flavor and fuerte behind it. But I can now I go back and I can just kind of look at a style and be like, ah, oh, this is appropriate for the style, and I can appreciate that. Well, and yeah, your your palate is educated. Well, and it's uh, it's been. I didn't say you were. No, I just said no. your your palate's educated. <laughs> it's been abused. <laughs> But but it you are you can you can approach it from a different perspective. Uh, yeah, and it, it, it kind of ruins it to be honest. It, yeah. When you when you do this so long, it's like you approach everything from a very sensory heavy standpoint. I, I can still enjoy stuff. I'm not saying that everything's been ruined. And, and I I only drink at work. That well, I think that's good. I, that's I good, good I work, policy. I work from home a lot though, so yeah. it's I I, <laughs> I do research. Uh, my wife will tell you. She, <laughs> Way better than I deserve. But I can't thank you enough, Robert, for being here. Uh, thank you for uh, coming on Consuming the Craft Podcast. Again, let let me tell uh, folks where they can find you uh, when they need design help, because you guys do such a fantastic job, and thank you for helping the students. So where where can they find you? Uh, we're Red House uh, Architecture, and it's buyredhouse.com. Uh, I hear there's an Instagram account but uh go there and just look at all the projects with it go there but, and look uh, at the projects is really cool yeah because you guys have done a lot of really cool stuff and so i can't thank you enough can't thank you enough to danny mcconnell from mcconnell farms for sponsoring the podcast thanks danny for everything you do to the pro for the program uh by donating juice and, and just being a a wealth of knowledge for all of the uh horticulture that you grow uh listen laugh and learn thanks everybody this was consuming the craft podcast